and welcome to 10 Very Big Books, a Malazan read-through podcast. My name is Peter Bond, and with me today is our producer. How are the levels looking, AJ Falleri? The levels are looking great. They're looking better than ever. They're they're out of this world, if, if you can say. <laughs> <laughs> like space. Yeah. And uh, he's back. He's returning to the show. He's my friend and the closest person I know to a Star Trek aficionado and expert. It's Nathan Quinn. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Very excited to be back for uh, Willful Child. Hooray. Did you want to, before we get talking Willful Child, did you want to offer any hot Star Trek takes about Picard, Lower Decks, just to were you trying to start Star Trek? <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I can't remember uh, what time frame we were doing the last one. I'm sure Discovery had been out for a while. I don't think Picard had come out yet. Loving, uh, I love Picard. Picard was a, a great season of TV. And I got to tell you, I'm loving Lower Decks. Lower Decks is very funny. So if you, you guys have uh, Star Trek fans who are listeners who have not yet checked out Lower Decks or Picard. You got to recommend from your boy, Nathan. Nice. We should follow up with Steve about Picard. I think in our last interview, yeah. he, he mentioned it in some like deeply disgusted <laughs> he manner. He did bring it up I in like a derogatory it. way. Yeah. But it's one of those things where I just, I don't, I know no, so little about it. I just don't think I'm the person to to inquire further about his Star Trek because yeah. I think he has, he, I, it seems he has a lot of thoughts. He definitely you know, has thoughts about I, the new I, Star Trek He wrote stuff several books directly about in this right. book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, and that brings us to today's book, Willful Child, The Wrath of Betty, Stephen Erickson's follow-up to 2014's Willful Child, his satirical Star Trek novel. The book continues to follow Captain Hadrian Sawback and the crew of The Willful Child as they get into various episodes and troubles in uh, space. So let's get, let's get started. And AJ... Let's kick it off. What did you think of Willful Child, Wrath of Betty? Uh, I honestly really loved this book. I, I had a great time reading this book. I thought it was a, just a rip and great time. Um, whereas the first one was a lot of Star Trek references that I definitely did not get. I feel like this one was more just like kind of a silly romp through space with some Star Trek references in it. Like the the, the jokes per page in the last book, I feel, were like in the in the dozens like every page just had so many jokes in it that i wasn't getting but this mm. one felt like it definitely had more of a uh of a story and even though they were doing similar like episodic things like you said pete in this book as they were doing in the first book i found this one way easier to follow and actually i had to i, I read this one under more duress than i read the first one because this i read all in one day the first one i read over two days and understood less uh and nathan is laughing at me because of my poor planning and i will give him that but also this book didn't come in until thursday even though i ordered it a month ago um wow. but you know i that that wouldn't have changed my my reading timeline at all if i'm being completely honest with you <laughs> so i just want to build off we'll get to nate next i guess um I mean, get some more of your thoughts, of course. We invited him onto the podcast, um, whatever. <laughs> but I gotta say, my my opinion, b- better book, better than the first one. Yeah, had a much better time. Yeah, you know, I don't know. My memory of the first one's a little uh, foggy, but I just enjoyed this one so much more. You yeah. know, and I don't know if it has to because there's definitely I don't know maybe less explicit Star Trek stuff. I don't know. Uh, but the thing is, I, I'm sure there's a bunch of references going over my head. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. So, but I agree. I just and also some of the episodes were longer and kind of connected to it. You know, I suppose the first one, I, I think, had more episodes that were a little shorter. This one had several episodes that connected between chapters, which yeah. I, I enjoyed following the characters through a little bit of a journey. And by the end of the book, I would dare say I was invested in yeah. the characters' well-beings. Yeah. And 
I I had concern for Captain Hazard and Sawback, which was not something I expected to be saying. <laughs> right. So. Yeah, I believe we described him in the last book as a not even a um, an anti-hero. We described him as just yeah. like a shitty dude. Uh, yeah. In this one, I would describe him more as an anti-hero, I guess. Yeah, totally. Um, that That's kind of what I was going on as well. Yeah. yeah. We should touch on that eventually, but um, so Nate, but to get to your kind of big picture thoughts, what you think of the book? Yeah, three for three. I think all three of us agree that the, this one's um, a, a, a fun read. Dare I even say a more fun read than the first one? Probably just because the first one has to do so much kind of laying the groundwork and prep work of justifying itself as a Star Trek satire. Mm, yeah. You know, setting up who the characters are and, and who the world is and, and kind of explaining what they're making fun of, what, what Steve's trying to reference and, and why this ought to exist. You know, in the first one, they're constantly joking about how the, the structure is episodic. In this one, they don't even joke about it. It's just fine that it is. It's accepted. <laughs> they just move on to the next thing. So I think there's a lot of examples of that where it's just like, you can dig right into it. You can um, get past all of the, the setup and get right into having fun with it. It is a, a really fun book. And, and you're right. Captain is much more likable, much more uh, easy to sympathize with. And you agree with a lot more of his decisions. I think that that is a positive change from the first the first one. The, the first one was difficult to empathize with him for. Yeah, there's a lot more of like Captain Kirk decision making. You know what I mean? Uh, where it feels more like we are reading a book about Captain Kirk and less of like someone who's trying to be Captain Kirk. Um, yeah. In some ways, which I enjoy. Yeah. And also, I do want to just make the distinction. Uh, we keep saying episodes, but they do say in like the middle of chapter one or something, uh, Hadrian says, I like to think of them as parables. Uh, oh, yeah. It's a parable planet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which, which is funny. which is pretty good. Yeah. yeah pretty good. <laughs> Moving into chapter two, he says something about maybe we could call this one parable two. Right. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Very good stuff. Uh, you know, I, I haven't thought much about exactly what made Sawback kind of more approachable in this volume, but I guess I was thinking more about it, and 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 I know we talked about this a bit last time, but I I always appreciate reading this book because of seeing Erickson's writing kind of from a different perspective. Yes. Yes. And um, especially with um. We're going to talk about it later, but Erickson does write about systems a lot and how um, corruption and, and uh, I don't know, I, I, it's kind of a larger point. I, I really have to think about trying to articulate it better, but I often think about how Erickson's trying to define the individual versus a system and what's the relationship between those things, especially when a system is corrupt and broken and and and, and flawed. And then what is an individual's relationship to that system? So I think thinking about this book and how it is portraying Saulback versus these various systems he meets was just a, it's another interesting factoid in my thinking about this kind of uh, Erickson odyssey yeah. <laughs> this podcast is taking. That's, yeah, that's really interesting because I do think that that comes up in the text where, you know, Saulback and Tammy are talking about why He's even bothering trying to right all these wrongs and everything in such a broken, corrupt system. And it seems like the argument is for doing every little bit you can to, by hook or by crook, pull society in the right direction. That, like, he happens to be a genius who knows what the right thing to do is, so it's his responsibility. It's like almost that that noblesse oblige shit that mm. uh, is is old-timey idea that if – 
if you are the one with the power to do something and uh, therefore you must have the responsibility to do something. It's, it's right. an interesting mm-hmm. thing that um, I, I definitely picked up more in this one overtly. Uh, and, and from hearing what you guys talk about Malazan, it seems like this is a common thread that Erickson is interested in. Yeah. Yeah. But not to, that's just a, not to dive too big into that, but I uh, just wanted to note it, but maybe we'll talk about some of the individual episodes of this book. AJ, what's a, what's an episode that caught your eye? Um, <clears throat> I think the one... Sorry, sorry, sorry. What's a parable Thank that really you. taught you a valuable lesson? <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I think Hadrian 23.6. No, um, uh, that's a Bible reference for all you Bible Ooh. readers out there. <laughs> look, look at the smart kid here. Uh, I think the one that sticks with me the most, I believe is when they travel a thousand years into the future to the abandoned Wally Crap Mall. Um, sure. But I, 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 that, I have an issues with that chapter just because it does take up so much of the book. Um, big chapter. Big, big chapter. But I do, I enjoy the payoff. I enjoy the... <laughs> How it leads into their kind of final adventure to to go get the krill so that the giant shrimp doesn't destroy uh, Earth. <laughs> yeah, pretty which, good. I don't know if you guys good. caught this. Was a, a, a reference to Star Trek IV, um, uh, the, the the movie Star Trek IV, um, the, the one with the whales, of course. Sure. I assumed it was a yeah, reference. Yeah, I assumed it was a reference. Yeah, uh, very good. Um, yeah. But I, so I think that was the one that, that stuck out most to me. Uh, and then the introduction of uh, Beta, the uh, yeah. sentient mannequin with but, perfect yeah. hair. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I, you guys probably caught that being a direct over reference yeah, to yeah, 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 the yeah, next yeah, generation. Yeah. Okay, because I know AJ. We, I don't think we've talked about it yet on this. Uh, we have checked in with AJ's lack of Star Trek knowledge at all. Yes, so yes. I wasn't so sure now, how much you knew. <laughs> so an, an update, I guess. Uh, last time I hadn't seen any Star Trek. Right now I've seen, and I, I should say, I've seen the new movies, but I don't really count that towards my Star Trek canon knowledge, really. Um, no, I don't think they Especially for the context of these don't. books. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but so at time Till of recording, then. I, I've now, I have now uh, seen the original Wrath of Khan, uh, which we did talk about as our Patreon bonus for the month of October, if you want to get in on that. Yeah, but, check it out. Um, but yeah. you were saying about the Wally Crap parable. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just think the amount of time that it took up in the book and then the, the stuff that at the end of it um, really, I think, paid off the most for me. Hmm. Like I did like the one where, well, I don't, I don't want to take up too many. So what, what, what were your thoughts, Pete? Yeah, that was a, it, 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 it was a large part of the story and not all the episodes are not all the parables are given even screen time for sure. Yeah. But I think it it's interesting, especially since, of course, there's time travel and then, you know, I know I, I Maybe Nate, you'll be able to articulate this better than me. But I know part of the show and part of Star Trek is leaving the st- the science fiction space setting to go to these other settings for like excursions, you know. And then sometimes it's you know the random planet, but sometimes it's the past or the future or sure. like gangsters or something. Yeah, yeah. On the next and- generation, they have the holodeck. Yeah, yeah, totally. There's lots of reasons for Star Trek to take a detour. Yeah, especially then when we get into more um, later in the book, you know, this is also part of it. You know, I guess I was just thinking about I I was reading those sections, being aware that I'm sure Steve was trying to evoke these types of not like just planetary excursions, but like temporal or I almost want to use the word extracurricular. (laughs) I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that's that's the kind of feeling that it seems like he's going for for most of these is the idea that 
on on the way he mentions it i think specifically on the way to whatever else they're doing they're constantly being interrupted um which is kind of the the idea with star trek is there's always something going on it's it may be a big universe it may be a big galaxy but there's always something catching catching the eye of the captain or stopping them in their tracks or interrupting them or or they go to a planet and there's always something going on uh, I think that that is something that Steve uh, really enjoys uh, playing with the idea that the, there's always something to do, and I think that Hadrian also has that quality is is uh, is finding something to do. I, I think that was especially obvious in the first book, but um, the second one, um, he he needs to find fewer excuses to go on excursions, but he and Tammy still have the the back and forth of uh, right. of 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 like, okay, well, why are we doing this? Why bother? Why are you going down to the planet? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I was yeah. a little surprised. I felt like Tammy took kind of a back seat in this book compared mm. to, I feel like the last one had a lot of Tammy Sawback dialogue where yeah. this one, I don't know, we were just doing less, we were doing different things. Well, I feel like the through line in the first one was what is Tammy's Tammy. end goal, you know what I mean? Right, um, yeah. But now, now that that storyline has kind of come to a close, Tammy is just another character on this ship. Right, exactly. If yeah. there was an overarching plot to the first one, Right. Which, yeah, like Debatable. like this one, maybe maybe there wasn't. Um, yeah. It was about Tammy and finding out what the origin slash purpose of Tammy was, and they kind of yeah. hinted at it again in this one. But m- mostly, it's just kind of a framing device within which to have the adventures. Right, of course. Right, Nate. What's a parable episode that stood out to you this time? Yeah, I was thinking about it, and I think my favorite, or or the, at least the most memorable, most significant one was one of the early ones where they go down to the planet um that the other captain um the other affiliation captain was stranded on and he like oh, kind yeah. of takes over the the i don't remember exactly what they're called the the kind of planet of dimwits versus the the kind of planet of hippies oh right right and uh and it, it just reminding me that this book was published in 2016 yeah. which means it was probably written in 2015 but like i mean it seems like from what I know, Steve Erickson kind of wrote it pretty quick as a lark, just to kind of get through stuff and and as a fun side project in between his other bigger, huge things. It seems like that parable, he's really dealing with some 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 Trump yeah. stuff, and and that was fascinating to me, especially considering by that point Trump had not yet been elected. Yes, yeah. kind of reconciling with the idea that that a, a strong idiot is um, very attractive to some people, and why, and the idea that utopia when it's coming to replace the thing that you already have can seem like a scary thing. Mm-hmm. And it was an interesting take on that. I, I, I was really, you know, I did not expect in, in a willful child <laughs> novel to, to kind of get a perspective on a political situation in our modern day world that was slightly more nuanced than I was expecting. I was expecting, you know, the, the classic jabs and, and goof em ups. Um, but I, I do kind of get a, new perspective on the idea that um, the, the the kind of fear that comes with the idea that perhaps what other people are calling utopia is scary to you. So yeah. I, I thought that was fascinating. Uh, we can dig in more there if you want, but I, I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, Nate, I do definitely think that this came, this parable came from a place of, of frustration uh, on Steve's part, uh, because yeah. he, he does talk about what you're talking about is like the, the, the powerful idiot and the people that, that flock to that. But he also addresses the people to 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 put it in real life terms. The the 
you know, the left and the right, the, the people, the, the, I don't know what to call it, but like the, the people on the left who are just like, oh, well, we have to hear everybody out. And like, it is our, our duty as, as, you know, uh, people to try and understand other people's points of view and like, blah, blah, blah. And like he, the, the, the other side of that coin on the, in, on that planet is like the people who just won't stop apologizing or just like, oh, I can't. I'm really just trying to understand these racist Nazis. You know, like that sentence yeah. is like literally said. It's like, oh, they, you know, maybe if we try and understand each other, stuff will it, stuff will work out better. And it's just like, I don't know. Steve is coming at it from the point of like, no, that's not. It does not work like that. Yeah. Well, and and Steve also kind of plays it interestingly in that the 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 peace loving hippies are also doing it at the end of a, a nuclear warhead, like they, right. they have these nuclear warheads hanging over you. I have a quote here from that, that parable that, um, that might be illuminating. It's at the end of it. Uh, and Hadrian's kind of thinking about the, the consequences of how they're leaving the planet. He says, on the other hand, a planet full of mewling pro-education social justice warriors will, if left alone, establish a utopian model civilization with no conflict, no inequality, and no room at all for sociopathic billionaires sucking blood from the tits of the poor. And if that ever happened, why it'd be canceled after three seasons. <laughs> Which is... Uh, that's the exact that's right. the exact quote I had highlighted in Love one that. of the for me. Nice. Same because that is a fun... It's a fun jab at... Star Trek itself, the, the idea that, you know, Star Trek, as imagined by Gene Roddenberry, was utopia. It's imagining the future as it could be if we let our better selves govern us. You know, the idea of mixed race bridge crew and, and women and, and men being equals, roughly, on, on the bridge of the Enterprise and, and, and all of that kind of stuff coming from Gene Roddenberry's brain. And then realizing that it's not the most popular idea with America or, or with the world as a whole. And it was canceled after three seasons. Well, really, it was canceled after one season and then barely picked up for two seasons more after that. Right. Probing, probing random question, Nate. Is there is there is there an economic politics in Star Trek? You know, so in the original series, they don't go a ton into it, um, but it's established in the next generation that they are a post monetary society. They are post consumerism in that they any material needs that they have are either so well taken care of that they have kind of gotten rid of the the economical incentive for it and that people who work do so because they um, have a calling and a need and a, and a love for work it's not for uh, economic reasons it's it's a really utopian thing that they don't delve into a ton just a a handful of episodes um, kind right. of deal That's with it. That's a lot to unpack, it, honestly. It really is. Well, I mean, right. You could, you could, I'm sure that people have. That sounds like something for me on my own time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm sure people have written entire, like, you know, doctoral theses on, mm. on the ideas of post-scarcity in, um, in Star Trek. It's, it's, it's wild. But that's the yeah. kind of utopia that they're reaching for, even if they don't bother explaining it. How we could get there. So it's funny you mentioned consumerism. Yeah, which, really. um, a, a, a favorite subject of, of Steve Erickson in this novel. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what I was going to say. I think um, if there was, you know, we talked a, there a bit about a Betty through line, and I guess we should talk about Betty eventually. I guess. But the, uh, the Wrath. But um, I would say probably the biggest through line in this book is actually about consumerism yeah. and a type of, uh, I don't know economic pressure and assist an, an economic system of exploitation you know yeah i would say this is the, maybe the primary preoccupation of the book you know yeah i mean as evidence through the wally crap parable <laughs> 
Yeah. Ultimately. In the Wally crap, in um, the, I, I think, oh my gosh, the names for the, what's it, what's it called? The Hawk, the Seahawk Zone. What's yeah, it called? Uh, yeah, the Seahawk Country or whatever. Seahawk Nation. Yeah. Nation. Yeah. 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 They went Seahawk Nation. <laughs> It, it, it's it's littered throughout, you know. It's yeah. wired through. And the plog, the plog make a return from yeah. from the first book. The plog yes. become yes. the now or the plog collectibles. Yeah. So, and we can talk about that, of course. We probably should. But the reason I actually brought it up was because I think that's probably the primary theme throughout the book, you mm-hmm. know. But I would say the strong, a strong secondary theme is there is a lot of time dedicated to talking about gender in this book, yeah. you know. Mm. And I don't always think it's like done in the most insightful or thoughtful way. But I was really here for it because we had this conversation when we talked about the first book where I think I, I was kind of caught off guard by the the gender swap universe, you know, yes. yeah. because ultimately for me, I felt like it kind of reinforced a gender binary I neither believe in or ascribe to. You yeah. know, and that's kind of what I was chafing against. But I think what why was and of course, we return to this universe in a big way in this book, you yeah. know, <laughs> and what I appreciated about it so much more was not only what, were we talking about gender much more there, but then when we talk about the mannequin, all the mannequin stuff, it's just a bigger part of that storyline. And I would say maybe the secondary theme of of this yeah. novel. So well, I, I, I appreciated that theme. And I think the gender swap story in this one was surprisingly easily my favorite episode of the whole book. And it's interesting how in, in the, the Wally crap parable, all of the androids and everything, all of that consumerism and gender stuff play off of each other. That that kind of is a, is both there together. All of that masculine feminine stuff that they're going into with all of these androids, which are, Kind of stuck in the loop of 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 Wally crap commercials, playing right. off the the kind of stereotypes of a hyper masculine. He, he's uh, he's writing about the performance of gender yeah. as also an economic and a commercial performance, which I thought was a great lens to talk about it through and, and a really pertinent one since financial ways we express gender is a whole thing. So, um, yeah. and it's being I was reinforced. Just really excited for, yeah, it's a huge part of the reinforcement, and it, I just thought it was a. It, it, a surprising through line and we actually had received some email about that from the first time kind yes. of letting us know that it was going to be a bigger part of this book so i but it's totally caught off guard in a way so <laughs> i don't know i think that that was a real treat for me yeah i agree it was still like you say there was some complicated stuff i don't want to skip over the bonobo verse which sure uh, yeah i mean it's a whole thing <laughs> yeah which uh if you aren't reading along, was just a quick detour into a, a mirror universe that what if uh, humanity had evolved from bonobos instead of chimps or, or our common – what was it? The common ancestor were bonobos instead yeah. of chimps, which I, I think the idea was that the bonobos are a um, – Matriarchal. Matriarchal – yeah, matriarchal um, social construct that, that um, commoditizes sexual favors and, and, and sex acts as uh, as – social favors and, and stuff. Yeah. And, and it was a little gross. I mean, it, it was kind of a little, um, I don't know, not fully gross, I guess. It was just a little cringy to think, um, well, what if, what if the world was like this? And, and I guess Hadrian's existence in that world was better this time than it was the last time. I feel like uh, in the first book, Hadrian was constantly looking for ways to kind of get into those situations. Whereas this, in this book, Hadrian feels like he is trying to do something and ending up in those situations, which I know yeah, is a he, subtle difference, but uh, it, it, it felt it felt weird to explore that kind of that that kind of uncomfortable um, sexuality space in a thing that I guess is kind of indicative of 
are not indicative, uh, uh, an exemplar of the way Star Trek, the original series, often ended up in weird, sexy spots that maybe aren't fully appropriate for what, you know, utopian society sci- science fiction show ought to be doing. But like, yeah. I guess that's the way you get renewed for three seasons if you get renewed <laughs> at all is is playing to your teenage base. But right. man, it just sometimes it felt strange and, and a little bit uncomfortable to play in that space. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely I, I think he was way uh Hadrian was way more uh, reticent to get into those situations, but not in a way where he didn't still want them. It was still just like, oh, well, I have to do this first. But once this is done, then yeah. we can come back to this, uh, which I, I, you know, so he didn't really change a whole lot. But uh, yeah, I do think it was more like palatable was in this them. way. Yeah. Yeah. There's that moment, I yeah. guess, at the end of the Bonobo verse thing. Sorry, Peter. Uh, I it's the only moment where Hadrian seems to give up uh, in the entire book or since we've known Hadrian and granted, I think it's, he's giving up because he's counting on his mirror universe counterpart, Hadriana to solve the problem. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he, he gives up because he believes he gives up a hundred percent. He fully gives up because he believes that his situation in command of the, the bonobo verse crew, the the um, woeful, woeful child, yeah, the woeful child that, that they could not possibly solve this situation uh, with with the the tools and resources they have, which is not a very Kirk thing to think, and it's not. Mm. I, I didn't think it was a very Hadrian thing to think. Like I said, it's the first time we see him give up, and when he gives up, he sits down in the captain's chair and asks for a hand job. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like well, and, the whole time uh, Sindauer's so, been trying so to give all, him a hand job. To be fair, I guess he accepts so a hand job. Yeah. All okay. All agree. I, I mean, listen. I don't want my initial comments to be misconstrued because I'm enthusiastic, but I do agree, Nate. I think sometimes, as I said in our Wrath of Khan episode, there can be a kind of sex farce element mm. to this, yeah. to these books that I think can kind of add to a, a kind of, uh, can reinforce a gender politics dynamics that I don't agree with, you know? Or just kind of weird situations that leave me not enjoying the book as a reader, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, and that's the kind of complex stuff that, that Star Trek, the original series, was grappling with in itself. Like, at, at the same time that they were having, quote-unquote, women in positions of power, which really was just Uhura being on the bridge as an officer. Right. Not a ton of equality there. Um, but we're reaching for these kind of gender equality. They were also making Kirk have these kind of rendezvous every, almost every week with different women from different planets, just like as a romance of the week kind of thing. It's kind of grappling with both ideas that both simultaneously you can be striving for equality, but also be kind of regressive and reinforcing it as well. I think that that's, it's kind of, I guess, what is being explored here. It's it's. It's kind of a weird yeah. quagmire to be in. It's it's it is a bit of a quagmire, but I I at least appreciated more that I felt like the book was definitely more directly engaged with these issues than the last one yeah. was, mm-hmm. where I felt like a lot of the times this stuff was just being played for laughs, and then there was a, some. So I, I guess I just wanted to note I was yeah. more enthusiastic about that. Yeah, I agree. I do think it's a lot more responsible this time of kind of trying to break that down yeah. um, in yeah. a more analytical way. So to kind of move on <laughs> we haven't talked about betty yet well in in, in we of betty <laughs> uh the the interesting uh thing in this book one of the most interesting things is that we get introduced to betty in the prologue and then we don't see we don't see them for 200 pages yeah uh yeah. or more 
Um, and you get introduced and you're like, well, it's the wrath of Betty. This is going to be a big thing. Right. <laughs> Clearly, this is going well, to be the through line. Yeah. <laughs> they immediately surrender. It's great. Um, I do also, I, I, before we get to that final scene, I guess, I do just want to address the names in this book are all over the place. They're so good and just yeah. so ridiculous. There, there are. Yeah. Do we want to run for a few? Yes, please. Just there are several moments where we get the views of uh, bridges on other ships for like half a page or something, and we get introduced to the yeah, entire yeah. crew of these ridiculously named people. Yeah, Nate, g- give me some. Yeah, so Sunenugian uh, Betty is a direct Sunenugian, uh, I guess is is how I'd pronounce that. Uh, is a direct reference to. Uh, Khan Nunyan Singh is Khan's full name uh, uh, yeah, from yeah, yeah, uh, right. uh, just making some, something slightly overcomplicated and then never using it again. Uh, <laughs> of the the KFC We Surrender is a fun <laughs> – the ship names are great. Um, we get Captain Hans Olo of the AFS Century Warbler. Holy shit. I didn't even put it together. Are you serious? <laughs> Love that. Oh my god. And and the the three of us are probably much bigger Star Wars fans than any of us are Star Trek fans. I certainly yeah. am. Um so that's I, I'm surprised. Oh, you're a good fan of both, Nate. Yeah. Let's not. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I just will um I will stipulate to the fact that I am a bigger Star Wars fan. I am currently game mastering a a uh, Star Wars role playing anyway. game. Anyway. So, uh so I'm surprised that that one slipped by you, Pete. Um, let's see. We've got uh, Janice Reasonable and Frank Worship and um, Commandant Einstein Prim, Lieutenant Commander Rand Humble Knot. A lot of good names. Oh. Humble Knot is a real Malazan name, if you ask me. Yeah. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. Told the Hound's Hive, what's up? Oh anyway. The Temporal Agents yeah, no. have some fun names. Tug Nutter, Clitter Sob. <laughs> yeah. I think it's very purposeful about the, uh, the 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 language in there, and I especially like how he kind of spoofs the science fiction trope of having fake technology named somewhat complicated stuff. Right. Because every time the fake technology comes up, Steve puts in a word like a paragraph of completely unintelligible. There's a words, whole. There's a. You know? There's a whole. It's like a page and a half of. Uh, yeah. Olo and humble not going back and forth of like oh well i'm going to do the neuro graphnomizer and then they just keep so going funny. back and forth it was like but if you do that then this one it's just like oh my god it's, a, it's, so, it's so a classic good. bit of just inventing some nonsense and, and this was uh, this is a common story from star trek actors of of having to say jargon in a completely um you know, serious smooth way. and even serious tone as if they know exactly what the fuck they're talking about when really it's just made up bullshit that they're just parroting back to back and forth to each yeah. other. And they might, like you of say, course. go full paragraphs without knowing what the hell they're talking about. Yeah. Can I, do you have one? Do you have a quote? I do have. I have I have the section I was talking hell about. Yes. Uh, I won't read the whole thing because it is a, literally a page and a half. Um, <laughs> so. Uh, uh, Olo says he wants to do something and humble not humble not says that's a bad idea. Uh and so Hans Olo says, I'm well aware that initiating the proximity activation sequence cascade effect of the hidden displacement nodes could trigger a quantum defibrillation of the dark energy latest matrix, instigating a full feedback ripple effect through the postulate realities, both above and below the fixed reality 1A <laughs> spectrum. At the same time, are we not intrinsically committed to reality 1A spectrum by virtue of quantum adherence to the origin point reality manifestation, thus so, ensuring a reset threshold at some initiation point <laughs> in the temporal multiverse index? The kind of off- <laughs> 
joke that they're playing diplomacy. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm really proud of myself. I didn't stumble yeah, at all. That was really impressive, AJ. I will give AJ a couple snaps. That is a, a really impressive uh, reading it, of some nonsense bullshit. Yeah, there's two other paragraphs of that exact thing. It's, it's so good. Very funny. <sighs> sorry, Pete, what were you saying? <laughs> I was, I was just saying I kind of liked that diplomacy makes a cameo. In Dude, the, yes. Oh, my God. That was so playing great. Risk, and then they move on to diplomacy, which is a much more deadly, corrosive interaction. So funny. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when, when Solvac hears that they're playing diplomacy, he tells them to send a medic down. I'm like, oh, well, they have the marine medic. It's like, well, not for long. Yeah. Have you guys played diplomacy? I have not. Uh-huh. I have not played it. I actually it. never have, bro. I it's should like, this is It's a, like really this hard is... to get, right? This is a crazy story. I um, took a class in college that... Um, it's too crazy. It's it, We can't put it on the airway. <laughs> it's just, it's just crazy that this was this, this this happened at all, not not that it's a wild story. It's just that I, I took a class called Grand Strategy, oh and the, the, it was like a... It was like an honors elective class that was like in the history department, I think. And I was like, oh, it seems like a, you know, if I wanted to get some history credits, I it seems like an interesting one. You know, we'll read a bunch of like, you know, Julius Caesar stuff, like campaign, like, you know, yeah, reading about, shit. yeah, and maybe this won't even make it to the pod. But, what, you know, we read a bunch of old stuff, talked about the the idea of grand strategy and how war has progressed throughout the, the, the ages. But in the first fucking session of that class, the, the professor just had to split into groups and play diplomacy. Oh my God. Just to like, just to introduce us to the idea of real politic. And it's just like so fucking weird that that was a thing that happened in this college course that I paid to be in. Yeah. Sounds like a fucking bit, bro. It was, it, it, it was a bit. It was a stunt. And That's we, wild. you know, got two turns in because the whole thing about diplomacy is everybody gets to take as long as they want. Right. Yeah, two turns in three hours or whatever. Exactly. Ugh. Well, I don't know where we take the podcast. Yeah, I'm so sorry. So, <laughs> so they play diplomacy, and, and I just love that the, the Marines are, uh, once again, some of the funnest parts of this book. They're, yeah. they're just showing up when they're I'm absolutely so needed. They came back. And, and when they're not needed, they're off in the in the, the wardroom playing board games and murdering each other. Oh, extremely, extremely good stuff. So... I, was there any more was there any other parables you guys wanted to talk about before we get to kind of the final climax i guess you could call it let's let's betty it up yeah so uh, yeah. after well actually did we want to talk about the comic-con part at all because the comic-con oh, part yeah. was oh yeah, yeah pretty, okay, yeah, pretty yeah, good but, yeah and the, that was the point at which i reached in this book i was like hey guys i'm like three quarters of the way through this book <laughs> and so far no wrath of khan are you sure we want to watch wrath of khan for your bonus episode right. maybe we should be watching Star Trek for the I think it's called the Voyage Home. Is that what it is? Where, where they Do go they back go into, to a Star yes. Trek convention? So, well, not quite, but they um, they go back in time to uh, San Francisco in the late 1980s, uh, and their disguises are you know they they pick out disguises that are time period, and and Spock wears a fucking karate headband to cover his ears, his pointy oh ears. God. It's just like yeah. the idea of blending in by sticking out is is but that the whole idea that they're going back in time for uh to for the whales uh they have to abduct a whale from from 20th century earth and bring yeah. it back to the future it's a whole thing oh. um, i also really enjoyed the time the back time travel plot line um yeah or epic parable um but like i just thought it was 
very goofy. Yeah. So I had a good time. That that whole movie is is a lot of that kind of interacting with people of the present day and convincing them. No, no, this is this is normal. This is not oh, a gun. Yeah. This is a prop or whatever. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. And I guess for those of you not reading along, they go back to the year 2015 uh, to Seattle Comic Con, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and then <laughs> it ultimately Seahawk Nation, as they call Seahawk it. Nation. Yeah, as they call Seahawk it. Nation, baby. Uh, ultimately, uh, Hadrian gets mistaken for a Chris Pine stand in. Yeah, yeah they uh, just call him Mr. Pine. Yeah. <laughs> stand in for Mr. Pine for the, I guess, presumed Star Trek panel. Uh, yeah. At, at Comic-Con. Oh, man, it's good. It's so yeah. good. I, I don't know if you guys probably didn't catch this. The the person that had canceled uh, that that they were excited to have him fill in for was Miss Ryan. They were all yes, excited I, for Miss Ryan. That that would be Jerry Ryan, who, who's the actress who played uh, Seven of Nine uh, on uh, Star Trek Voyager, uh, who is notoriously um, – well, I mean, she's, she's a fan favorite, um, I guess – Maybe not notoriously is the word because it has nothing to do with her. She's a fan favorite uh, mostly because she was in a um, a tight cat suit for most of that uh, that show. It's, oh it's, my God. it's definitely it's definitely some gross uh, fan stuff. That makes all the mannequins' names being blank yeah. of blank so much better. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. One there's literally one six of called, nine. I was like, okay. Yeah, there's Sally six of nine. Yeah, Sally oh, six man. of nine is a very direct reference to that. I never got that. I just thought it was a 69 joke. Yeah, me too. That's funny. <laughs> um, very good. Interesting. Yeah, so that, Interesting. that whole Comic-Con stuff was very funny. It, it just... Yeah. And, the, and dealing with the cops and yeah, I got to say, though, it's it's kind of funny that I'm going to say this because it's like, of course, it's in this book. But I just didn't know we were going to go to that level of meta. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I was expecting Steve to walk out of a cafe or something in the background. Right. And yeah, like, Hello, my name's Steve could have showed up into the book pretty soon and it would be pretty credulous. Yeah. As it is fitting right. the tone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> So I was almost surprised in that section to be candid. Yeah. Uh, and I do love that the resolution to that whole, oh, we need to get krill, but the Pacific Ocean is too uh, radioactive to actually yeah. get krill out of. Uh, and uh, Hadrian uses his the knowledge of his grandfather collecting old shit. That's like, oh, sea monkeys are a thing. We can just add water and put that in the ocean right. and that'll stop the giant shrimp in the yeah. future from destroying the earth. <laughs> yeah. Really good. Fucking wild. Uh yeah. <laughs> oh, another good part of that was that was about when the all the temporal agents were were fumbling and and falling over themselves. Yeah. Which I don't I don't think is a direct reference to anything Star Trek, but just generally whenever there's time travel shit, it's like okay, sometimes Star Trek pretends that there's like a division in charge of time travel <laughs> shit, and sometimes it just doesn't care. Especially in the in the later stuff, like Star Trek Enterprise really has a whole division where they're talking about time travel, like police, basically just making sure that you don't fuck shit up. And Ugh. it's like it's like it's it's very silly. And it just doubles down on that whole concept of uh, yeah. going back in time to fix a thing that that you showing up is the cause of its breaking. And right. then somebody else has to come back in time to fix the thing that you it's broke. In, in this case, it's all the Gary's showing up to make sure yeah. that that pigeon shits on that kid's head so that he hates humanity or something. <laughs> right. So that he can take over the country or whatever. Yeah. Ugh. It's fucking wild. All the Gary's. And then all the Gary's show up in different ships and destroy each other. It's very good. Right. That right. In orbit above 2015 earth, right. is just a bunch of temporal <laughs> right. agents and ships murdering each other. The same temporal agents destroying the same ships. Very yeah. good. 
yes, time travel is a big element, but I'm on the Wikipedia page of Seven of Nine, and here just wanted to let me know, in 2019, she was ranked the fourth sexiest Star Trek character by the Sci-Fi Channel. Oh my god. Which is to say, like, what's going on, yeah. Sci-Fi? Are you doing okay? But, what are okay. we doing? That, it is crazy that Sci-Fi just ranked them all at all why are we doing this on our websites i'm not sure who she's fourth behind though (laughs) okay i don't know what to tell you on that nate but bring it up with sci-fi because i guess this is something we're doing on the internet strange it's just strange number four seven of nine number three kirk listen i gotta say what no, no dude, I gotta say, Kirk was hot. Watch Rathacon, it's in the tape, you know. Check out, check out. Fucking goddamn Kirsty Alley's Twitter. We jumped into the future because we just had a 10-minute conversation that got cut out of the podcast. <laughs> so we're, we're putting this train back on the rails, and we're talking about Willful Child, The Wrath of Betty. <laughs> <laughs> to reintroduce the podcast for ourselves. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> so that's to say, uh, AJ. Sure. What did you make of the Betty finale and the Betty of it all? Let's kind of wrap up the episode yeah. with this. Uh, so, you know, this whole finale I thought was just pretty goofy. Uh, I, I really honestly don't really have much to say about it. Like it was it was goofy. It was fun to, funny to read. Uh, and then... The Hans, Ol- Hans Olo comes in, does some stuff, and then gets fr- not framed, but basically uh, is going to be the reason that the Clang attack. I imagine in the next book at some point. Um, yeah, so they maybe. S- they set the whole the whole Clang conflict up. Actually, why don't I why don't I pull up a quote here that is, explains it? Yeah, the, the whole the Clang's whole strategy is, I guess, to um, to surrender to the affiliation and then dominate them economically from within. Right. So getting the affiliation to accept Clang surrender, thus opening the way for economic sabotage on a grand scale as we entice short-sighted human corporate CEOs and their idiot shareholders into buying into the profit bottom line bullshit by accepting cheap off-world labor in appalling working conditions, thus undermining the economic clout and purchasing power of their own middle class, leading to increased unemployment and a burgeoning poverty rate while the same CEOs hide behind walls made of money and tell each other how brilliant they are. I gotta say, I think if you were a large corporation reading this book, you'd probably get bad vibes. You know? <laughs> You're like, wow, I, Steve, do you not like me? Yeah, I don't know yeah. what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> I don't think the Walton family is probably appreciating yeah. this book. Yeah, really. <laughs> Between this and Wally crap, I, I don't think they're feeling right. very warm and fuzzy. Right. And I gotta tell you, I think this this satirical novel from Steve is probably the biggest thing on the Walton family radar. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Uh, I agree mostly with you. I, I don't. I, I don't have. If anything, I know we talked. We talked a bit about this in our Wrath of Khan episode. I definitely almost thought there would be more Khan yeah. related yeah. parody with the Betty stuff. Yeah, but it was pretty light in a way. You know, Spark. You know, there's that. Yes, right. <laughs> That moment where now with that, with the context of Khan, knowing that like it's this whole grand sacrifice from Spock to go into this radiation filled room. And in in the book, somebody was just playing fetch with Spark and accidentally threw it through a a cracked door into the radiation room, which it turns out Tammy left cracked on purpose to try and kill Spark. Yeah. 
and then and then it immediately has no consequences because uh, they are able to shunt the radiation into a closet. They're able, uh, and then Adrian's <laughs> able to reset Spark with no consequences. Just just Ugh. shove his hand up his butt and find his reset button, and and no consequences at all because. Yeah. As I mentioned, which is fitting, the, the, of course. The next movie, uh, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, uh, obviously implies that Spock is still alive. So. Plus, it's pretty heavily implied in the second film, in Wrath of Khan, if you ask me. Yeah, they show they fully just show. Oh yeah, because the, his the coffin, the coffin the shows up on the on the woods of the Genesis planet. Yeah, yeah. I actually don't know. That yeah. might have been added late. Later, I don't know. Maybe that was there the whole time. But I guess it plus was- Kirk is Kirk is like D- life comes from death. I'm gonna have to return to this planet. Yeah, and then like yeah, just right. after, I mean, God, the fun- it's, it's laying on pretty thick there. William. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I, we should have said this in the Wrath of Khan episode, but I'll say it in this regular episode to tease you for the Wrath of Khan Patreon episode if you want to donate to our Patreon. The the, the final line that Kirk has is, Kirk, how do you feel? And he just says, young. Yeah. And that's, that's the end of the film. Yeah, well, right, because they, they spend the entire film talking about how, uh, how he feels old and he's getting old. Admiral Kirk is 52. <laughs> 52. Life's over and he's reading glasses. Yeah. So that's just a taste um, of what you can get if you donate to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Way. <laughs> um, let's have some closing thoughts. This podcast has gone out of control, Nate. Yeah. Um, oh, you know what? I'm going first. Screw Go it. Go for it. <laughs> I, uh, as I said up top, I enjoyed this read much more than the first one, I think. And I think some way, as you're saying, Nate, I just the the setup was all out of the way. And I feel like I could have just I just could appreciate individual parables and, and just kind of the, the lark of it all, you know. And I kind of knew what I was expe- knew what I was getting to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I open up this book and what I thought it would be is pretty much what it was. You know, there was stuff I was surprised by, but I just knew I don't know. I knew the area. Steve was playing with so yeah had a good time and uh I'm guessing we'll probably read the third run for the show and I'll probably be a I'm gonna guess a pretty fine time too yeah AJ uh, closing thoughts on the book uh I agree with you I had a great time reading the book I am looking forward to reading the third one eventually I I don't have much more to say about it really I feel like we've kind of covered all the bases just a much more enjoyable read all around way easier to follow for me as well but I think Nate said earlier I think it's just by virtue of not having to do all the setup uh and that but I also do think that this book was a way less of just like Star Trek gaffes the whole time um, and more of like mm. kind of an actual story. So, mm. yeah, I, I think that uh, all the, the goofs and references to Star Trek are a lot less um, overt. And, and when yeah. they show up, they're just kind of they just slide by like that. Um, that seven of nine reference. that we just we talked right. about or was or was that cut out? Um, well, you, you decide. <laughs> Uh, I think that might have been one of the final things that made it in before we got off track. Nice. Well, I'll leave that to you, AJ, to figure out and sort out in the edit. Um, that the kind of stuff that just slides right by if you're if you're not in the know, but you you notice um, it, it, there's more of that this time than in the previous book, which it seemed like you could tell this is a Star Trek reference, like whole parables were Star Trek references. The premise right. were, were yeah. and, and, and you guys were noticing, oh, this is something Star Trek. I don't really follow it, but I'm along for the ride, I guess. Yeah. These were these were much lower stakes. You didn't really have as much of a barrier to entry. And and I I, I really liked how much they uh Steve rounded off the kind of sharp corners and, and edges of, of Hadrian Sawback. Because it, it really is difficult to I, I mean, I know kind of 
this is part of the stunt of of the ten very big, big books is that the characters are sometimes not always the best yeah. to follow. The, the ones who you follow are kind of anti heroes? Question mark. Are they even heroes <laughs> that are Ma- many many different types of characters right. in so, the world? But the it is sometimes to exhausting to follow a shitty person. So uh, rounding off some of those uh, sharp edges really does help this second book and and make it more fun to to follow Sawback's. Uh, exploits. Um, I do have a closing quote here that kind of takes a burn at you guys, if you guys want to allow me. Fucking close it out and burn us, bro. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Um, We're going to have the rest of the off-season and uh, peace, love, and trees. Yeah, if you want to hear us talk about Wrath of Khan, that's our Patreon bonus for this month. You can get all of our Patreon bonuses by donating just one dollar. Tweet us and Gmail us and yeah. All right, Nate, bring us out. Nani, so thank thanks Nate for coming on the show. Absolutely, thanks for having me back. And anyway, here's a here's a quote from as they're leaving the the Comic Con. We've got to go now. Scheduling and all that. Interviews, poo casts, fat book, twit feed, the works. It never ends. <laughs> it never ends, bro. Never ends. I gotta keep making these poo casts. <laughs> keep going with the poo casts. All right, everyone. Peace out. See you.